couple of uh, Julys ago, when I had the opportunity to bring my family uh, down here from Virginia on a Wednesday evening and uh, deliver a candidating sermon. Um, many of you remember that night. I will never forget it. Uh, it, was, uh, it was quite an experience and a, a packed house. And a candidating message on a, a Wednesday evening is unusual. But that was the first occasion I had to meet so many of you. And all at one time, in a line, shaking hands. And uh, so many of you were, were kind and said that I didn't need to remember your name uh, until later. But uh, <laughs> of the group of people that were there that night, one sticks out in my mind. That was the night I met Preston Pierce. And uh, talked with him and his sister Ella there that night. And uh, he told me that his plans uh, for the fall were to head off to school uh, to North Greenville. And that he perceived a call on his life to enter the ministry at some point. And uh, I thought, that's great. And I thought in my head of all the verses of all the people who, when I said such a thing at a similar age, gave me... Uh, to scare the hoot out of me. Um, but I just began to pray for this young man. And uh, we've met many, many times since, most of them over lunches while he's home uh, on break. Uh, he's now a sophomore at uh, North Greenville, and his plans after graduating are to attend Southeastern uh, Seminary in Wake Forest, North Carolina. But I asked him a little over a month ago, I said, how would you like to preach? the Sunday that I get back from vacation. And he said he'd do it. And then I said, well, you got some options. You can preach anything you want to, or you can hop in where we are in our series in John. Should be around the end of chapter 6 about that time. And that's what he has decided to do. And I was thrilled uh, to just pick up where we'd been teaching. And uh, in my absence, that my friend from uh, Reedsville, uh, right where he left off, Preston will pick up, and uh, I'm proud of this young man, proud to, to call him a friend, and uh, more proud to be able to see how he has uh, been following what he believes to be the Lord's call. That's a tough decision, what to do, especially as you grow older, and with ministry on top of that. Uh, reminds me of a journey I've traveled myself, and Preston, I still don't know what to do <laughs> so uh, that comes along but uh, you know what to do now and it's John 6 61 through 70 please welcome Preston Pierce well good morning it is a blessing to be in the Lord's house this morning. Um, as Pastor Isaac said, I'll be uh, continuing the series in uh, Gospel of John, chapter 6. If you would, turn to your Bibles um, there with me this morning. Uh, we'll be covering the back end of the chapter, starting in verse 60, all the way to the very end in verse 71. And I remember, I think it was, I was on the phone with... Pastor Isaac outside of my dorm hall over a month ago just about and 
And when he had called me and asked me, would you like to preach for me when I get back from my vacation? I remember, I think I had told him too how tickled to death I was just to be able to have that opportunity. Um, so it's a blessing and an honor for me to be here and to preach in front of you all this morning. So starting in verse 60 all the way to verse 71. The word of the Lord says this, When many of his disciples heard it, they said, This is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, Do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life, and the flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. Verse 64, But there are some of you who do not believe, for Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe, and who it was who would betray him. And he said, This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, Do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. And Jesus answered them, Did I not choose you, the twelve? And yet one of you is a devil. He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. And this is the word of the Lord, and before we go and dive into it any further, let's pray. Lord Jesus, we, we come to you this morning grateful. I come to you this morning, Lord, grateful and humbled and honored just to be here, Lord, and the church and the place where I, for the most part, have grown up, Lord, hearing your word preached. And during my time here, I have accepted a call to salvation when I was around eight years old, and I felt a call to the ministry not too long after that. And Lord, I just, Lord, I lift you up and just pray that you'll speak through me here in this service this morning and that you'll speak through me to do what only you can do, Lord, through this message. And what our Lord Jesus has to say here in this word and how it can apply to us today. Not only that, may we look into what the text actually says and may I preach from that, Lord, and not my words, but your, but your words. And Lord, as some of us, I know probably me throughout the message, may grow hungry for lunch afterward, Lord. I just pray that you'll be with us just to have a spiritual feast on the word here this morning, and it's in your name that we pray, amen. So picking up on pretty much the entirety of chapter 6, we come to the back end of it to where everything pretty much falls into place. Um, everything in chapter 6 points to this, this passage right here with what will this crowd, this big crowd, what will they do with Jesus? It is the biggest, most important decision anyone can make in their life. And they had seen him from feeding the 5,000 and to seeing him explain to them these hard sayings that we read earlier in this chapter. 
for the people in the crowd, they didn't understand and they didn't really like what Jesus had to say to them for these hard sayings that, verse 6 he says, when many of his disciples heard it. Some of these hard sayings included sayings like Jesus said, I am the bread of life in verse 35 and verse 54 when he says to eat my flesh and drink of his blood. And whoever does that has eternal life. These were hard sayings for this crowd. They didn't really understand. But more than that, we see that although these, since these sayings were very controversial, they were very offensive, and this crowd was very offended by what he was saying. For here in the ESV, when verse 6, he says, hard, this is a hard saying. Although it does, can mean that it's hard to understand and Although it's, really, this is more on the line of it meaning that it was offensive. This was an offensive saying to them. This is a touchy, touchy subject, excuse me. Like many touchy, sub, touchy subjects we have today, like abortion, uh, racism, homosexuality. We can go down the list there of just many of things that can be touchy subjects. But as we see going on to the next verse in verse 61, that Jesus knows the hearts of all men. And not just that, he also sees them grumbling, as it says, for they were grumbling. And Jesus asks them, do you take offense at this? It's almost a rhetorical question when I think about it, because he knew that their answer would be, yes, we are offended by this Jesus, because he, as I said, he knows the hearts of all men. These people were very comfortable with Jesus when he performed miracles, like feeding the big crowd with just a few fish and a full or a couple loaves of bread. But they felt convicted with what was less comfortable about Jesus, saying, no, he's more than just a prophet. He's greater than Moses, Moses or Elijah. He was, and he is the Lord. He is the ultimate sacrifice. He is the Lamb of God. Jesus was not trying to intentionally offend them. That was not his sole purpose in telling them these hard sayings by any means. But he just told them the truth of who he really was. He wasn't trying to sugarcoat his words for them or anything like that. He told them simply the truth for how it was. And folks, I wish I could say that every church in America today does that. I wish every church in America today preaches the word for how it is. And I wish they preached on Jesus for who he really is. Verse 62, we read that Jesus reiterates that he is more than um, the son of Joseph and Mary. As it says in verse 41 and 42, he's the son of God as well. And that's the hard thing that these people in in the crowd, that's... The thing that was very hard for them to wrap their minds around. In verse 14, they call Jesus the prophet who has come into the world. For they just thought he was just a prophet like Moses or Elijah. And we could name off a whole slew of prophets in the Old Testament as well, along with those two. But what Jesus is saying here in verse 62 and 63 especially that he's telling them, if you're offended by my claim to be Lord, you will, 
definitely be offended by my death on the cross and my resurrection. If you're offended by my claim to be from heaven, you'll be offended by me going back to heaven. It's through what he did on the cross and him rising again on the third day. For we read in 1 Corinthians 1.18 that the cross is offensive. The cross is foolish to those who are perishing. And yet for us who do believe in him, it is our hope. Verse 63, I love this. It says, It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. And several things we see here. Jesus' interpretation of him being the bread of life and him wanting people to eat of his flesh, drink of his blood, all those things. He meant on the spiritual side and not the physical side. He didn't mean cannibalism. And that's kind of along the side of what this crowd was thinking when he said this. Jesus gives life to a true born-again Christian through the Spirit, meaning the Holy Spirit. That's what he's referring to here. The Holy Spirit and not the flesh. And in that, we follow him through the guidance of the Spirit, of the Holy Spirit, and not our own flesh. We can't follow Jesus and dwell on our own flesh to say, I can do this on my own. I got this. I don't need anybody else. The flesh does not help us in following Jesus. We can't figure everything out on our own. It doesn't work. But instead of saying, I got this, I don't need anybody else, we should say, Lord, I can't do this without you. I need you to sovereignly work in me and to sovereignly work around me. Help me, please, O Lord. Verse 64, we see that Jesus, again, Jesus knows the hearts of all men. We see that here, that he knows the hearts of these men who believes, who doesn't believe, and who will betray him. We'll get to that in just a minute. For we see that these people in the crowd, they just wanted a show. They were with Jesus, but they didn't believe in who he really is. Adrian Rogers once said that there's no greater evil than unbelief. Just because someone attends a faithful church like Wake Chapel is, very much so, just because someone attends a faithful church like this doesn't mean that that person would believe in a faith that it preaches or teaches. To not believe in Jesus, or in in this case at least, to sin against him, is to let doubts control over you. Christians have doubts every now and then, just like our lovely choir choir sang this morning, when the winds of doubt, when the winds of doubt blow, though the winds of doubt may blow. Since Christians have doubts every now and then, we we should override them with faith. In Matthew 14, when Peter walked on the water to Jesus, he had faith that he could do the impossible in that moment in that moment because he was walking on water. I mean, the only time I've, I would ever see anybody else walking on water is to run away from what they thought was a shark at the beach, something like that. <laughs> but it was until he started to doubt that then what happened after that, he sank, bloop, fell right into the water. And, as, and it was as he sank and he was sinking, Jesus brought him back up and he said, Oh, you of little faith, 
Why did you doubt? Verse 65, Jesus makes a similar statement in verse 44. And when Pastor Isaac was preaching on this a couple weeks ago, um, he had mentioned the hard sayings of predestination and free will. And those are, those are some hard topics to talk about. There's some hot topics at North Greenville, I know for sure. And I'm not going to be covering those into detail today, <laughs> um, really because I want, to, want us to get out of here, you know, in, in time. Don't want to keep you all too long. Um, I feel like it could be a whole sermon just on that, if not a whole series just on them topics. But the biggest thing from my study and my interpretation and for what I've seen here, for what we can get out of verse 65 is that when the Holy Spirit moves in somebody's heart, it allows him or her to see more clearly that they need Jesus. For Kevin DeYoung once said that the point is not God will keep you from coming to him. Rather, the point is you need God to supernaturally and sovereignly look, sovereignly work excuse me, in your life if you are going to come to him. In verse 66, we see that the crowd finally acts on all this grumbling and this is a hard saying. They finally act on what they are responding to. And unfortunately, it's not a good act. It's not an act that we would hope for. Yeah, this is pretty much self-explanatory. It's very clear that they leave and do not return. And they're tragic. And they're, they're leaving shows tragic failure in showing true discipleship. And since they left, they abandoned everything Jesus had to offer from the hard sayings, including to the feeding of the 5,000. Because when we choose to follow Jesus or not, as these disciples have to do, we have to choose whether or not to accept all of Jesus or none of him at all. There is no in-between. What's interesting about this, though, is that Jesus knew they would do this, and yet he still told them the truth, just as we had just mentioned in verse 61. He told them for how it was. He told them his true identity. And in verse 67, since the crowd has left, they, they're gone, the attention shifts from them to the twelve, the inner circle. And Jesus draws his attention to them to ask them, seeing what this big crowd has done, he asks them, do you want to go away as well? And when I first read that verse, it made me think of the days, and I didn't play high school football, but I played one year of middle school football. Um, and I remember during that time, it makes me think of those tough workouts that I had to do, and not just then, too. I ran track, you know, throughout high school and ran track this past year, and those were some tough workouts there as well, but really more so, I think football teams definitely go through a lot during their practices and workouts, and I was thinking about this. A typical football coach, when he puts them through um, a tough workout to where they would do sets of burpees or up-downs, if you know what those are, if you played football, or 
run up the hill in full pads like what I had to do um, in middle school. Those were some hard, hot days. And as those workouts go on, the coach, he would, typical coach, he would typically ask some of them, especially during workouts, if you want to leave and go home, there's the door. You can leave and go home. And I think I remember this too, you know, and you can see this among other football teams as well. When, when those players that are not as committed leave and they take that door and walk out and don't come back because they know what to expect if they want to be on the football team now more so than ever. The coach then turns to the people who stay and says, there's a door too if you want to be like them and go. And now, obviously, when a coach, when he does this, he doesn't intend for the whole football team to leave. He wants the team to play under the Friday night lights or, you know, on Saturday or Sunday, depending on if you watch a lot of college ball like, like I like to do. Um, go Pack. Go Wolf Pack. Um, but we see here that the point of the coach taking, putting their players through that tool putting their athletes to that tool is that he wants committed athletes. He wants commitment for those who go under those Friday night lights and et cetera, et cetera. And not just for football, but I know especially for track and for all other, all other sports along with that as well. And in the same way, Jesus wants true committed followers as well who are all in and who follow him through the thick and thin not for a reward, not to work for a reward, but to work because of an eternal, eternal reward that is already promised to them. Jesus is not looking for people to entertain. He's looking for people to save and to grow. We must ask ourselves a question, are we going to stand true to following Christ? Even with what's hard in your life, especially in those those hard sayings. It's kind of scary. It's more than just kind of scary. It scares me to death when I look at the news and see that our religious freedom here in America seems to shake a little bit. It's, if you read anything about the news the past couple of weeks, you probably know what I'm talking about there. So we must ask ourselves that question, are we going to stand true? Even when the going gets tough, the rubber meets the road. And I love Peter's response, verse 68, verse 69. He tells us why. This is why you should stand true. This is why we should stand true. When he, when he says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. What other way is there? What Christ can do for us is beyond what anything and what anyone else can do for us. Peter recognizes Jesus' words as spirit and life when he says, Lord, you have the words of eternal life. A true Christian keeps the faith and runs the race, so to say, with endurance, as Hebrews 12 talks about, because he recognizes God's word to be full of spirit and life. And it's funny how Pastor Isaac mentioned you know, when he was here in the Family Life Center that one Wednesday night, um, not this past summer, but summer before that, on what he preached on, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, about how the Word of God is alive and it's active 
and is sharper than a double-edged sword. When all else fails, God and His Word is still there. Verse 69. We see there in verse 69 that Peter not just speaks on the reality of Jesus' words, but he speaks on the identity of Jesus. He speaks on who Jesus is. And he spoke on behalf of the twelve when he said that we in the inner circle believe that you, Lord, are the Holy One of God. They were true and committed to following him. They were the ones, except for Judas, and we'll get to that in a little bit, they were the ones who endured through all those burping up-down workouts and ran up the hill in full pads, spiritually speaking there. Peter acknowledges him as the Holy One, and that comes up a number of times in Scripture. There's no one who competes with Jesus in his holiness. Peter surrenders all he has to him because he is the Holy One. It's not enough for us to just acknowledge that he's there and that he's real. He wants us to acknowledge him as Savior and Lord and to confess our sin to him and have him forgive us and then entrust all we have to him. It's like that song, that old song, I surrender all, all to thee, my blessed Savior, I surrender all. And we surrender all because he is the Holy One of God. There's no one else like him. Verse 70 and verse 71, um, we see that Jesus exposes Jesus' heart. But he doesn't yet expose Judas himself in front of the twelve. That will come later. But we see, and I don't think that Peter knew that Judas was going to betray him or didn't believe him or anything like that. This doesn't seem to give much clarity on that aspect. Because Peter says, we, we, speaking on behalf of the twelve, and yet Jesus says, one of you does not believe And when I think of that, I think of there may be someone, as I mentioned earlier, being here in a faithful church like Wake Chapel, someone who attends church regularly and not just thinking about Wake Chapel, thinking about churches, you know, all over. One who may attend church, who may participate in church, and yet doesn't believe. Judas was, Judas was there when Jesus, I'm sure, fed the 5,000 and was there throughout his entire three-year ministry, and yet he never believed. And what's scary is, in this passage it says, not only does Judas believe, it says that he is a devil, which shows the reality of uh, Judas' betrayal to him. As I mentioned, that'll be later on um, as well. A couple more points, and I'm done. Couple last conclusion points here. One thing for sure that we can grab from this is that without Jesus, we are lost. There's nothing nobody else can do. There's nothing else, nobody else but Him. John fourteen six says, "I am the way, the truth, and the life." Jesus is not our plan B. He's not our backup plan. He is our 
only plan. Not only does he give the words of the Spirit in life, he is that Spirit and life. I love how in the beginning of John, John chapter 1, it's, it describes Jesus as the Word, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among them. Jesus came from his earthly, excuse me, not earthly, heavenly throne and dwelt and dwelt among the big crowd and dwelt among the inner circle as man. There are many people throughout history who try to become God, but only God became man. There should be no one who rivals him in our hearts, since there is no one like him. And I leave you with this. Are you a fan or a follower of Jesus? Is there a decision you have to make to show that you're a follower of him? You know, you may have it tugging on your heart that you may have to forgive somebody, or you may have to help somebody do something, or you may have to um, be a part of a ministry, or a part of a job, or applying for a job, or... Or you may have to decommit from something because you're too burned out from everything that you're doing and you're not getting any rest. I know they tell me that as a college student to be careful with my time commitment because I can overcommit very easily. Um, so you may have to do a, you may have a decision like that tugging on your heart. You may may have to remind yourself that there are some things. In fact, all things in particular. But there may be those couple things in your life that you may just be dwelling on. And you have to think that those are not as important as Jesus. They're not, maybe they're not eternal. Scripture tells us to think of eternal things. And if you don't know Him, I pray that you do. I pray that the Spirit... The Holy Spirit will be tugging on your heart right now that you would thank Him and that He did die for you, died on the cross for you, and that you would trust Him who rose again on the third day. That you would trust Him to save you and to have Him forgive you and then to live your life for Him, to be a part of this inner circle. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this opportunity again to be a part of this series in John that Pastor Isaac has been leading us through. And I thank you, Lord, that he hasn't been burned out and that church allows him to rest. Lord, and I thank you for that. And Lord, I just pray that this message will just tug on our hearts. Not just the fact that I'm, I was a part of this church as a young and, and part of the youth group, and now I'm up here, 20-year-old as a college student, preaching this message. I pray in particular that for us as a church, that when we leave here and go get lunch or wherever we may go, that we may not focus on how good or bad I did, um, but may they rest, and may they, may they leave from here and think, what a God we serve. Lord, when 
I know I have faith, it seems like, like Martha, to where I'm scrambling around trying to do everything, focus on things that are not eternal. And yet, I remember that passage in Luke. I don't want to say it's Luke 10. When Mary's looking at, I think it's Mary Magdalene, when Jesus was looking at, Mary was looking at Jesus dwelling on him and Martha was scrambling. Jesus tells Martha, 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 you are anxious and troubled about many things. But Mary has chosen the good portion that will not be taken away from her. Lord, when we're tempted to focus on things that are eternal, that can be taken away from us. Lord, may we dwell on the good portion that will not be taken away from us, oh Lord. May we acknowledge that there's no one else like you. You are the Holy One of God. You are of spirit and life. Your words are spirit and life, oh Lord. Lord, and may we live our lives like it. Run the race with endurance because of the reward that we are promised that is eternal. And it's in Christ's name that I pray. And all God's people said, Thank you.